We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I'm joined once again by my longtime friend, Bobby Kralla. We are recording on Tuesday night, uh, June 14th. It's about 8 o'clock. I've been kind of pestering him for a few weeks just because I wanted to talk. I'm not ready to let go of the season. Uh, Bobby, how are you? Oh, I'm good, man. Just enjoying the offseason so far and uh, drafts around the corner, free agency after that, summer league after that. And next thing you know, it's media day, so I'm trying to enjoy every second I can get. So do do you – actually, you know what? I, I want to circle back to this stuff. But one quick question because I will forget. Are you going to Summer League? I don't believe so. Dang it. Um, I want to I don't out. believe so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we have, we have some plans for Summer League, and, and if we're able to pull it off, it will require me to be here for that. So okay. but we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Well, yeah. All right. Interesting. So – um, I wanted to have Bobby on because one of the, the the challenging things about being a modern sports fan is that you're inundated with like tons of information. And what results in that is that it's so easy to just move on to the next thing. And despite being a well-founded and, and I, I have a reputation of being a grump for a very good reason. You I do, not, you do. <laughs> I'm not ready to let go of of this year because, you know, I remember podcasting with Josh early on in the season and him just saying, like, I want to get to the playoffs. I have a good idea of what this team is. Let's get to the playoffs and see what they do differently. And it's so funny. And he's even talked about this where he's just like, I, I did not know what this team was. <laughs> and we just had such a such a lengthy 
Like it was a great season. It was like a, it was very much like a, like a story where there's just elements of things going wrong, things going right. And then right before the Mavericks were poised to get into the playoffs, something else went awry only for, you know, the hero and Jalen Brunson to rise up. And then what do you know? They're all the way in the Western conference finals. And I mean, I want to say Nico Harrison said this, something like this in his, um, media like the whatever it's called the exit interviews where he said you know you would have told me that we were going to be in the western conference finals like like i wouldn't have believed you and my my i don't know about you but but when i went back to the start of the regular season i was really just hoping for like a second round team that was my that was my personal goal for a team in which i have no control over do you remember what your sort of like you know your expectations were back then what were your hopes yeah, I do remember my expectations and uh, receipts of that exist on the internet, Kurt. Ooh, um, I love it. Yeah, my expectation or, or I guess definition of what a successful season would have been would be ideally getting home court in the first round, but certainly avoiding the play-in and then winning a, a first-round series. I think they, they had to do that. They had to learn how to close out one opponent one time uh they had two cracks at it against the clippers last year and obviously you know they, they kind of let one go in dallas and then game seven was it, it turned into an ugly one so you know they needed to learn how to get over the hump and they also needed to avoid the play-in and it was looking pretty nasty there for a while i mean like even even into that like late march it was like they played minnesota houston minnesota again i think and then utah was like sandwiched in between there somewhere um it was a really tough schedule right before the end of the year, and they needed to win a lot of those games in order to avoid falling down to seventh. And they did, and they ended up uh, they ended up you know facing Utah and hosting a game one, and it was awesome. But uh, that was my, I guess that was that was my benchmark. You know, home court would be fantastic, and and then closing a series, and then all of the they would have to achieve all the other accompanying sort of uh, milestones and and reach the benchmarks that required that are required to do those things so like in order to be a home court team in the west you're gonna have to win 50 something games you're gonna have to get way better on defense you're gonna have to play way better in the clutch you're gonna need other guys to step up and all that stuff and so i I, all of those sort of goals are implied but yeah i mean just benchmark was home court avoid the play-in and win a series i like that that's a good the home court one is fun because i think we sort of it's easy to forget that it's just been a long time since the mavericks had won a home like a, a a when you play, you know, in the bubble and then you play the dang Clippers, you're not, they didn't win a home playoff game for many years. <laughs> so it's like the home court and the home court win was just, it was, it was extra great. Um, but I want to rewind kind of all the way to the start, maybe even, you know, going back to, to about 12 months ago. So things are, you know, let's just, just call them political terms. The Mavericks were a change in at this point of, of last year. Um, where a lot happened in a short period of time between coaching staff changes, front office changes. And I remember my earlier takes were skeptical to be kind, um, mainly because of history. And what ended up happening this season was really, really neat, but it was not a smooth path. Um, There was, you know, our, our, our wonderful superstar, Luka Doncic, not really showing up in the best of game shape. And then there were, you know, just sort of kinks in, in adjustments and roles and adjustments, slight adjustments in style. Jalen Brunson made his way to the starting lineup. 
Uh, Brunson also, Brunson also, by the way, doesn't get near enough credit for sort of keeping the team afloat those first 30 games because he was just, man, he might have been the most consistent player past Dorian Finney-Smith all year. And I love yeah, I remember they were down 25-5 to five against the Spurs like in the third game of the year. And he mm-hmm. came in and like single-handedly launched like a 20-0 run. It was, it was crazy. It was wild. It, it, was, it was crazy because the, the – and granted, the nerds uh, – uh, the non-stat people hate this. But like after like the first like, 10 or 12 games – like the Pythagorean win expectation was that the Mavericks should have been like like three and nine <laughs> or something based on it was not great. Those were not great times. Those were not great times. But but then you know it's like we're we're kind of slogging through a tough November and then the COVID outbreak hits and the COVID stuff is going to be something for for like a history book at some point because Seth Partnow, my buddy who now does like high 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 level stats for I can't remember the name of the company. But it's like the the data for December there it, it's it's like an earthquake like it's just that it's so out of whack with people playing weird minutes and the Mavericks just kind of kept going like they didn't play bad but they didn't play good and then I've mentioned this multiple times you and I've talked about this my my personal turning point for me and I look back on this was I was sitting in one of your uh, Twitch streams, and I want to talk about these at the end because I want to talk about what y'all were hoping to do and things like that. But I'm sitting in one of your your uh, Studio 41 Twitch streams where you were doing this wonderful. It was like a it's like a social studies presentation where you were walking people through the math about what happened when the uh, Sacramento Kings and what was the guy's name? Chemezi Metu. Chemezi Metu. The shot heard around the world. Where you whip out this astoundingly dorky but accurate i I give you credit for this i am never nice to you (laughs) you break out this fantasy football analogy where you're like you have to trust the process behind what you are going for as a team and letting shemezi me to shoot that shot was better process than De'Aaron fox scoring a layup I, i just remember you saying this and I remember being mad, and I remember thinking, you know what, Bobby's wrong. Because that's why I remember it, honestly. Because I was like, Bobby's wrong. Tell with this Bobby guy. Um, you know. But in the Mavericks, two games under 500 at that point. I want to say 15, 17, something like that. Uh, after that, things changed. And I don't know what changed. And I'm curious. This is what I want. I'm working toward the question, I swear. Things changed, and then the, they won against the Kings again on New Year's Eve. And then they proceeded to win. They proceeded to lose, I think, 10 more times in the regular season after that. It was something bananas. Um, what do you think changed after that? What was the switch? Dude, I, I don't even know. I couldn't tell you. I mean, on the one hand, the turning point of the season was when Jalen Brunson became a full-time starter. On another hand, the turning point of the season was when the Mavs signed Theo Pinson, of all people. Uh, and then, of course, there's the KP trade in there, you know, later on. But the, the real turnaround began January 2nd. I guess really December 31st is when they bounced back and beat the Kings without Luka. And then a couple of days later, he came back in OKC. And it was basically, it was all over after that. I mean, from that point on, in the calendar year of 2022, the Mavs lost five home games uh, in the regular season. They had a very road-heavy schedule at the early, you know, the early part of the year. And then January, they just spent the whole month of January basically at home you know, had all these big wins against like the Warriors and the Bulls and a bunch of these other really good teams at the time, the Nuggets. Um, and they just built some, 
I, I don't know. I mean, the, you know, the the bench wasn't always having a blast, you know, like they were in the playoffs. The the fun time started really in in that January stretch, and I think, you know, some of it was because Luca was out, and you know, it's it, we kind of saw that mirrored later on in the year whenever he missed those first few games against Utah. You know, whenever your star is out, especially whenever you're running as as heliocentric a system as the Mavs do, like when Luca's just gone everybody else needs to do more, you know, and it wasn't just Luca that was gone, you know, Reggie Bullock missed some time. Uh, you know, they had like three, four five guys out with COVID given like key minutes to Brandon Knight on Christmas night in Utah and like Charlie Brown and all these other guys. Uh, so everybody needed to step up. And then, you know, once you get over that initial shock of like, well, Luca's not here and he's not coming back anytime soon because, you know, his his leg turned like four different directions in November and now he has COVID too and it's Christmas. Um, you know, once you get over that initial shock and you start winning some games, then you just got, I mean, you have all the confidence in the world, you know, and, and Brunson was fantastic. You know, let's not forget like Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock both just got off to just terrible shooting starts. Bullock in particular uh, through the month of November. I mean, he was just really bad, you know, and, and in, in December he struggled too. Um, and then those two guys finally heated up, you know, and Maxie started figuring it out and Dwight regained his bounce and Jalen started looking like a stud. And, you know, KP was rock solid through those couple months. And so whenever Luca came back, it felt like they were ready for liftoff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a little, you know, at the beginning of the year, I wasn't necessarily skeptical so much in, in J-Kid's like ability to coach a team. What I was more skeptical in was the player's ability to and desire, I guess, and and just simple skill level to buy into what he wanted to do on defense. You know, he said after that, it was like they lost to New Orleans or Washington or something early in the season, and he said, we're not built to play defense. I mean, he's right. They're not built to play defense, but they all eventually bought in, and it really clicked, and, I mean, that was that. So, uh, you know, I, I was thinking that, like, the big sort of – any sort of uplifting uh, – through a new coaching hire would just be straight up because of the power of positive thinking, but it was more than that. You know, they're a tactically sound defensive team now and, and, you know, everybody found their confidence and found their rhythm without Luca. And when he came back, I mean, it was just, they were off to the races and it was, it was amazing. I mean, they had outside of that uh, 06, 07 team and outside of the year they won the title, you know, they went on some run where they won like 20 out of 21 or something that season. You know, they have not had like a 30 to 40 game stretch of, of basketball like they've had, you know, from from January into like mid-March. I mean, they've, they've never done that before ever in franchise history. I mean, they played some of the best basketball that, that the Mavs have ever played. And so it was uh, it was it was a blast to watch, man. And, and I don't know. I don't know who to credit, you know, Luca, obviously. But I mean, I just said 50 guys names like every mm-hmm. single player contributed to it, too, which is so beautiful, especially given kind of the narrative surrounding this team for so long until this year. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, it's, it's so funny. There, there's a couple of elements, which I think could be dipped, like, like dove into to discuss, but are ultimately like, well, did this happen because this player left or did this happen because this player got injured? And since we ultimately can't know I don't want to be a downer for once in my stinking life. And I, I will say big, that Kirk. this is really big. Well, yeah. Tell skin Wade for me, please. Um, and ask Mark, Mark Paul, don't block me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
it was, I think if you were to add, I'd be curious about this. Somebody will do this for me because I'm lazy. But if you were to add up the post-January 1st records for the Mavericks from January 1st to the end of the season in 2020, and or I'm sorry, 2021, and then January 1st to the end of the regular season in 2022, the Mavericks won a ton of games these past two seasons following up on January, which is really, it's like, it's a, it's probably a scheduling quirk. But it's just sort of something that I'm very interested in because one of the one of the analogies that got thrown to me, you know, you did this complex fantasy football analogy that I love. Somebody once referred to Luka Doncic as Derrick Henry. Um, and I Ooh, that's good. just love it. Because if you're not a football person, uh, if you're an overseas Slovenian fan, Derrick Henry is an American football player who's one of the biggest players at his position. And just like Luka. And over time, he he gets better as the game goes on. And so I, I make that comparison because I think Luca plays better with each passing month, but also becomes harder to deal with as teams get tired. Um, and it was just, it was really something watching him come on down the stretch. I was at this game in January, I think, Oklahoma City game, where it was one of the first games I remember where he he really made an effort to get to the rim. And it was, it was like, uh, he shot a ton of free throws. He was just going time and time again. And it was like, that was the game where everyone kind of decided and or realized that the path forward is Luca's going to have to take a beating because we've talked about it before. We'll talk about it for the rest of his career. To me, one of the most underrated elements of the Luca Doncic experience is how freaking strong he is. And with that strength comes sort of a physical beating that few other players take. Um, it's not like, it's not unlike Shaq or Giannis, but it's, it's a, it's just sort of in that range and man, is it cool to watch when he gets going <laughs> and just, I, I don't know. I've been, I've been thinking about that the past couple of, of days as I, as we kind of get ready for, to watch Luca play, um, in, uh, the world, um, uh, championship qualifiers and then probably in, in Eurobasket down the line. But, you know, what kind of happened following, you know, they, the, the Mavericks, Tim Hardaway went down against Golden State, and it, you know, one theory that I've heard, and you don't need to comment on this, but it was that the Mavericks sort of figured out that they might need one more guy who can dribble, um, and that trading for Spencer Dimwitty was, while it wasn't not, while it wasn't about Porzingis, it was also about like how this team needs to be constructed, and that trade, I remember, I hosted a green room, right? And and you've you've seen these things from time to time. Normally, I get like 150 to 300 people live. Like that's it. In the middle of a, like a Thursday, there were 900 people so mad. Oh, people were fired Mavericks. up. I listened to y'all's podcast, your reaction pod. It was epic. I was shocked. It was an it's epic like pod. Two, yeah, like two years of people getting mad at Porzingis, you know, me included, only for everybody to be like. How could they trade Porzingis? Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. It just shows the kind of the dichotomy of a fan. But after that, like, things somehow ratcheted up to a whole different level. And I sort of think, like, number one, not only is it really cool that we get, like, meaningful March and April basketball now, that stretch, particularly that Boston-Brooklyn stretch, and granted, you know, game winners help. But that was like one of the coolest stretches of Mavs fandom probably since the last time the Mavericks made the playoffs. Dude, you know, like that sort of that road game stretch. They they only went like oh, yeah. two, three and two, but it looked like they could go oh and five. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, they, yeah, when they beat, they went to Golden State, they went to Brooklyn, they went to Boston, like in mm-hmm. like a week and a half. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. And then they won games at home against Utah during that stretch too. Like they just they couldn't lose. They could not lose. What except you, to, except for to the Knicks, which is hilarious. What do you like? Like, what are your sort of Spencer Dimwitty impressions? Like, I don't know what to make of him as a player because it seems like the range of he. It sometimes he's just not great, and other times he scores thirty points and looks like a superstar. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a wild ride with him this season because he started off so red hot, you know, and it, and it was cool, obviously. Like it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy when the Mavs win and when Mavs players do good basketball. Um, but I knew that he wasn't going to shoot 50% from three forever, right. and like 60% from the floor. And so you're just waiting for kind of the drop off to happen. And unfortunately it did happen like right at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs against Utah. And, you know, it was, he was kind of up and down, I guess, for throughout most of that series, had some moments, um, but I mean, when he popped off, he just popped off and that's kind of the, that's the nature, I guess, of, of having a really good sixth man, you know, thinking back to like Jason Terry, for example, and these other guys that have come off the bench for the Mavs over the years, Jerry Stackhouse, same thing. Sometimes you got it. And sometimes you don't. And if you don't have it, then it's about what else can you do to help the team? Um, and I, I think just like for, for Spencer, the ability to get to the basket, turn nothing into two free throws. And then also, you know, be six foot five with long arms on defense is super duper important because like you said, I mean, they really needed another ball handler so badly, you know, especially once Brunson got bumped up to the starting lineup because, you know, when he or Luca were out of the game, that's fine. But it's really, really hard to play, you know, extended periods of basketball with like against Atlanta, for example. Remember that Hawks game? Uh, Luca and Brunson were both in foul trouble. That was before the the trade. And so they were relying on like Trey Burke and I think Sterling Brown and Frank got in the game too. And it's like, you, you have to have somebody else. You just have to. Um, and, and Spencer filled in. So, I mean, he was, he was amazing, obviously. I mean, I, I can't think of another non all-star kind of caliber player that was traded at the trade deadline that has made a bigger impact on his team ever, like in NBA history. And I'm, I'm youngish, I'm 31. So I don't, you know, remember what was going down in the early nineties or anything, but sure. I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie by all accounts, like, you know, sort of a starter, kind of a pretty good sixth man, just completely changed the entire fabric of this team uh, after the trade. I mean, it's just, it, it really like, it is straight out of a movie, dude. Like nothing that happened this season makes any sense at all. Uh, just completely caught lightning in a bottle. But within this offense, I think it's sustainable because the guards are so empowered. I mean, the, the Mavs give more, freedom and and kind of ask their guards to do more heavy lifting than any other team in the NBA mm-hmm. and Dinwiddie mm-hmm. loves that so I mean he's a he's a perfect fit for what they're going for it's just well, it was I, I did not expect it to work out that well obviously but I, I I do want to push back a little bit though in that the the big kind of resounding opinion common opinion at the time was that it lowered the Mavs' ceiling yes and I argued against that because you know we'd already seen them in the playoffs two years in a row and they lost. So like yep. the ceiling couldn't be any lower. I guess the ceiling would be just don't make the playoffs at all. So, I mean, literally it did not lower their ceiling. And then also it was just like, I mean, eh, it's worth a shot, you know, cause what, the, what they've tried so far didn't work. So at least they tried something different, you know? Well, and, and so I remember thinking, okay, this is a step back to take a step forward because I lived in Washington DC and I know a lot of wizards fans who are like this dude bad. And, and and frankly, it just wasn't the case. And my favorite thing about him, and I'm I'm curious for your reaction to this, his wingspan, 
I do not remember the Mavericks having a guard like this in my hardcore fandom over the last 15 years because his ability to just go towards the rim and guys don't seem to realize how long his arms are. And so he holds onto the ball a little longer and then draws a little more contact and then finishes at the rim. He's just a re I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with one more year of knee rehab. Yeah. I mean, you think back to like, okay, you know, Monte Ellis, Jalen Brunson, even Parsons, who was big, but his wingspan, I, he might've even had like a negative wingspan Parsons. I don't remember how long his arms were. I mean, they, and Luca, I'm not sure Luca's got a monster wingspan either, but I mean, Dinwiddie is like six, five, six, six, and has these big, like swooping drives to the basket where he brings the ball way out mm-hmm. while also, you know, he, he does, he kind of does like the hard and like rip through things sort of, but also not really. He just kind of goes up hard. You know, I don't, it's, it's really impressive to watch. And like you said, with the ACL, I think he's only going to get a little more explosive, which is nice because, you know, sometimes he would leave his feet and just wouldn't kind of get enough vertical burst to really make something happen. But I mean, my God, if he gets any more vert, I, I like his free throw rate rivaled like Harden's and Embiid's and Giannis's after the trade deadline. Like he, he was living at the free throw line. It was, it was, I mean, it was, it was amazing. There's, there's nothing else to say. I, I mean, he's, he just made such a huge impact. Well, and it was, and it was just a lot of fun to watch. And it, I compared the three guards kind of like a – it reminded me sort of like a, a triple option where the Mavericks sort of did each – each the offense, depending on who had the ball the most, was like not dissimilar, but each Luka and Brunson and and uh, Dinwiddie each did things so differently that it made the offense very challenging to guard despite it being kind of obvious what was happening. Yeah. Um, that much time left i didn't mean to keep it this long but again i just like talking happy basketball with you um so so the playoffs i remember feeling a sense of existential dread because luca obviously got hurt last game of regular season what are you gonna do you know things happen in a basketball game um it is what it is and then they they go play the jazz and that was one of the most uncomfortable six games series for me i was like every game was like nails on a chalkboard what did you think whenever luca went down against the spurs i had no problem with him being in the game um but i was very i was pissed dude i was pissed thinking like this is the best season that the team has had in more than a decade this is finally the year you know we knew we were gonna play Mm -hmm. the jazz like i was I mean, I openly said that if Luka was healthy, I would say Mavs in five, and that was even being generous. Like, the Mavs might have swept the Jazz. I mean, they might not have lost the game if Luka was healthy. Um, But, man, once he he went down and and Brunson stepped up, I mean, that that is – it is what it is. I I mean, the Mavs played, I thought, pretty poorly in game one of that series and still almost won. And so I was – I came out of that game more confident than I – you know, than I, I guess many other people did. Uh, and then game two, you know, Brunson had 41 and Maxi hit those threes and it was awesome. And and the the train started rolling. And again, you know, those games without Luca, in order to win those games, every player needed to play well. You know, you couldn't have just one guy solo. I mean, again, Jalen scored 41 points in game two, but they would have lost that game if Maxi also didn't career. You know, I'm glad you uh, mentioned that. Josh Bone, I just talked about that where it's like I think a lot of people found that that series is like a foregone conclusion. And unless Brunson goes absolutely supernova, I mean, two, he made six threes. He didn't make that many threes all playoffs. So for him to hit six in one game, whoo, brother. 
Well, and, and Maxi in in games two and three, I think hit like thirteen combined. I mean, it was just inexplicable, inexplicable hot shooting. Um, and you know, Bertans had a couple moments, and you know, obviously Dorian and Reggie were were nails from three all series. I mean, everyone needed to step up, and so whenever Luca came back, like everyone had rhythm, everyone had confidence. It was almost like I don't know, maybe they should try it again next year, <laughs> just to to force everybody to get rolling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean the whole thing was just it was, it was a a little a, a little nervy um, watching it. The number one offense in the NBA just constantly break open threes. You're like, eventually they're going to make them, uh, and they just never did. So thank you, I appreciate that, Utah. Really unbelievable game plan from the coaching staff that was so well executed. I mean, this was the series where, you know, Josh wrote Josh did such amazing like post game analysis, like what worked, what didn't, almost every game, and I was. This was this was a, a series of execution that I think I will come to appreciate more over time. I was just they you know when Luca came back game four it was a little ugh. but you know sometimes things happen and then they're on to play the Suns and the Suns I think I I don't know if I've told you this you if depending on which shows of ours you've listened to like I agreed to get a puppy after the Mavericks went down o two to the Suns because I was like okay we're gonna be done I'm gonna have more time and. I did not have more time. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> the Mavericks would play basketball for another month. Um, and I, I scientists will be studying that Sun series for some time. I want, there couldn't have been more than five minutes of clutch basketball played that entire series. I don't think there was a single clutch game. Like, I, <laughs> I think every game was decided by double figures, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. It was, or I like mean, the Mavs back in game, game, game one to lose by like one. Eight. Yeah, but it was it was something else. I just I don't remember us. I don't. I guess maybe there might have been like Kings Mavs games in the early two thousand that had that kind of like sense of like what it you know uh, you know a team gets going they really get going. But like I I don't I still don't know what to make of that series. There was something happening with Phoenix. I mean, uh, it's not just the Mavs triumph, uh, but I guess no series loss is only or series win or whatever, however you want to view it, is only because of the winning team playing well or the losing team playing bad. It's always a combination, but there had to be some stuff going on with Phoenix because, I mean, for them to just go from games one through five, I mean, they even in the Mavs wins in Dallas, like they still looked good. And then game six and seven, they just completely, just completely fell apart. I mean, just completely came undone. And I, I think they was, lost both games by something like – it was something approaching 60 points between those oh, yeah. two games. Oh, yeah, and, I mean, it would have been more had the Mavs actually played in the fourth quarter of either of those <laughs> games. I mean, it just complete curb stompings in, in both games. And, uh, you know, the Mavs got red hot from three, which helps a lot, and Luka figured it out. And it's – I mean, I don't remember exactly what Luka did in uh, in game six of the Clippers series in the bubble – but I remember game six last season, he was really good. And game seven, obviously, he was amazing. You know, it's just like as the series goes on, like Luca's going to know everything that you do to him. Like he's just going to get better as the series goes on, which kind of feeds into your Derrick Henry thing. Like you're going to, Mikhail Bridges, sure, you're awesome. You were going to be exhausted at the end of this series because Luca's going to go right at your ass for seven games. And, and he's bigger than you and stronger than you and talks more trash than you and the Mavs are having more fun than you are. I mean, it is mentally and physically and psychologically just exhausting. And and emotionally, too. Luca's a really fiery guy, and he complains a lot. I mean, Devin Booker was too busy making fun of Luca to, like, think about what's going on, on the court. I mean, just 
Luca just occupies so much real estate in your head and and takes so much out of your out of your body that uh I don't know. I mean, it feels like going six or seven against the Mavs is very hard. It feels like you're better off trying to beat them in five, like the Warriors did, because otherwise Luke is just going to figure out everything you do, and he's just going to toy with you in game six and seven. And he's, uh, I don't, watching him be that guy was so special. It was so special in game seven, just coming out. And I remember my wife put our son to bed, and I she comes downstairs, and it's like a few minutes before halftime. I tell her to score. And she was like, what? Just come, it was just, it's, I'll remember, like that's one of those sports moments we'll talk about a long time from now. And that's oh, yeah. why I want to do this pod in the sense of like, you need to remember this because I don't know, I'm sure you see it. You're offline, you're on vacation to a degree, but like it's turned into like, every off season has turned into like the Jalen Brunson wars of people arguing over stuff they have no control over. And as I've aged, I also just I just don't care. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a different deal for me entirely, and it's like I, I have to find a, a middle ground of like talking about it and enjoying like elements of it. But like I don't want to fight over things I can't control. Uh, Remind it, yourself it, of that on July seventh, whenever they've split the the mid level exception between like three players. Fair, but you know what? It, it's so, it, when you get to the Western Conference Finals and you look at how they did it, and you say, okay, was there some injury lecture? You know, I don't really want to talk about the Warriors series because I think that that you know it it's it's relatively recent. We know what happened. I think a couple of games could have swung differently. I really wish they would have attacked Jordan Poole. That's neither here nor there. But it's like when you get to the Western Conference Finals with a a let's just call it a short bench to be respectful. You see a path, and so let's say the Mavericks don't do anything different. Let's say they roll out this exact same team and they get one eighth man for the mid level for part of the mid level exception. I don't know. I, I might be okay with this because the the process is there. Like we're going to have to figure out this Reggie Bullock can't shoot the first three months of the season thing, because as you know, it's not a recent thing. Like it's his career. He's like, a, he's like, you know, a, a, an upward trajectory guy, but these feel like fixable things because you want to, you want to be playing your basketball at the best time of the year. I think if the Mavericks had played the Warriors in the second round, they would have beat the Warriors because the Warriors were not playing their best basketball. The Mavericks were. And I just feel at the moment, I feel really good about where things are. That can change because you, you know, you're never the window for, for, you know, to be a competitor is never as long as you think it is though. Dirk Nowitzki sort of bent our reality on that one. Um, I just, I feel good. And I hope you do too. I feel great, man. And and continuity is always good, um, especially at the start of the season. You know, they're not going to – next season, they're not going to have to be figure, figuring anything out. You know, they're not going to mm. be playing a new defensive system. Sure, they'll probably have a you know few new players or whatever, but, like, it's a whole lot easier to integrate a couple new guys than it is to, like, for the entire team to learn a new playbook at both ends, you know. Um, and it's been a while since they've gotten off to a good start. They were below 500 on New Year's Day each of the last two seasons, and that makes the back half of the year a grind. So get off to a better start. You can take some time off in March and get ready to go for April. I mean, it, don't be chasing the rest of the season. And so if, if, if continuity is the best way to get off to a better start, then I'm all for it. So before you go, and we're almost at the end of our time here, um, you did a lot of stuff this year. And it's the sort of stuff where you and Katya are – I think you guys are testing. You're figuring out what works and what didn't. 
Could you tell the folks what you what you worked on this year and also what you're kind of hoping to carry over into the next season? Because I, I don't know. I made you guys part of my morning most days of the week. It was great. Put me in a great mood. So let's talk about it real quick. I appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, so this past season, Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, which I know is kind of a weird time for people that live in uh, the States, but we don't do anything live for our friends in Europe, and so I feel like we owed them one. Um that's not at like 5 a.m. their time. Yeah. Uh, we stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Dallas Mavericks in, uh, in Studio 41, which is a little tiny room in the back corner of our office uh, that Jason Chenick, this guy that works with us, uh, was able to turn into a, a real live studio. And we got proper cameras and desks and equipment and tech and everything in there. And it's, it's great. I mean, we stream on Twitch. We just have fun. Um, this year was kind of beta testing, like you said, just to figure out how everything works and what we're capable of doing uh like technologically capable of and going into next season you know we're, we're gonna continue doing that morning show i think it's called morning with the mavs we're just hanging out drinking coffee you know talking about whatever talking about the games last night but we also want to start introducing more um you know more programming at different times of day and then also you know more polished content that we can put on youtube things like the film room which i was doing during that the was playoffs, good stuff kind of love that stuff oh thank you thank you i appreciate that um doing that and just more kind of kind of more stuff like that um and and I really like the live aspect too I mean we're we're seeing it you know you do the the Spotify lives and you know Twitter spaces are popping off too they're just going crazy um TV and even podcasts like I love podcasts but TV and podcasts and radio are such a passive experience as the mm-hmm. as the consumer because sure you know you present someone the the content and they listen to it and that's it or they watch it and that's it but when you do it live, you can interact with people and you can really get a feel for what people want to hear and what people want to know. And you can tell stories and you can really entertain people and have fun live uh, with a big group. So, you know, we're going to start, you know, pushing it more, promoting it more um, now that we kind of know how it works and, uh, you know, implement some new things, too. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And that starts on draft night. We're doing a draft Ooh. night show, uh, whether the Mavs keep their pick or trade it or whatever. We are going to be streaming the entire first round of the draft on uh, on our mm. Twitch channel and also on our YouTube. So uh, if I could plug that, that, that would be fantastic. And it's it's going to be a good time. Last year, there was more than 2,000 people watching at its peak. So it was, it was a really big show, and it was a lot of fun. Well, good, man. I, I enjoy participating in it. I know what you mean in terms of the interactivity. It's why I really like these green rooms. Um, it's taken – or it's not Spotify Live, but it's taken the post-game people getting pissy on Twitter – and all social media message boards, whatever you want to call it. And basically, because there's a tonal difference when you're typing versus talking. You and I know this from some of our, you know, debates, let's just call it over the years. And I really, it's it's just been much more fun to talk to people. And, And then you feel like you realize like, number one, it's not all that serious. And number two, there's always another game. Yeah. Well, and, and like, dude, I've made friends, you know, there are like Wolves fans and, and Pacers fans and Magic fans and Grizzlies fans that watch us on Twitch. Like there's people from all over the country because no other team does it. So it's just fun to get to know people from, from different cities, different backgrounds, different countries, whatever. It's been, it's been great. I love it. Good, man. This has been fun. I always love talking to you. Um, you guys, you, you should follow Bobby and not tweet stupid things to him. Um, <laughs> and, you know, check out all the Thank stuff you. at Matt. Like Bobby's sort of underselling, like what they did, but you know, the Mavericks as a team have really turned a lot of stuff. Like there was the Mark Followell, uh, Brian Damaris podcast, which they went sort of public from that from behind a paywall. 
which is two guys who just know, like, like they bring a lot of experience to the table, you know, uh, of seeing things and of really, I just, I enjoyed listening to them. It was really good stuff. Uh, made that part of my rotation. Um, and again, like, like just, there's a lot of Mavs content out there. And I think, you know, you don't, you, you go through the hard times to be able to enjoy it when it's fun. And so the Mavs do a really good job of sort of leveraging that, I think, because it's kind of a negative sports culture these days and you gotta, you gotta enjoy it where it is. But again, um, Bobby and I's recording thing is about to die. So I'm going to go ahead and let you go, Bobby. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Okay. Hey, thank you, Kirk. Appreciate you, man. All right. Talk soon. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.